Well, Jesus Christ, we pause to recognize the significance of that truth. That all those who have confessed you as their Lord and Savior, repented of their sin, that is their anthem. That we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony about Him. The testimony that Jesus Christ, the Word of God Himself, came to give us as a bridge, a mediator between God and man. Father, I thank you for the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. We exalt you in this place. What a beautiful name. The name that is above every name. The name that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That Jesus Christ alone is Lord. That day's coming soon. And what a day that will be. And so continue to give us a taste of that moment right here. Continue to give us a taste of what eternity will look like right now. As we worship at your throne forever and ever. Singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive honor and power and might and majesty. that be the anthem of our heart today so Lord help us now help us now not to just sing words on a screen but Lord the anthem of our heart and humble ourselves under the recognition of your authority right now and the word you are teaching us today I pray we would not pride our hearts against you not harden them against what you want said but God we'd say here Lord here I am change me help me to love you more today to seek you with a greater desire, greater hunger, and change me. Change me to be more like you. Oh God, that prayer you will not turn away. And whatever distractions of the week, whatever anxiety may seek to distract our attention, may we cast that at your feet right now, knowing that you overcame and you're still overcoming that in our lives, in your power. Be with my mouth, Father. Guard me from error and say what you want to say today. In Jesus' mighty name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord, church. It is a gift to be starting the sermon series today that we will be, Lord willing, carrying through over the next four to five months of this year and then over the next four to five years in this church. The theme for the year, as we've mentioned the last three weeks, is foundations getting back to the heart. And this series we kick off today is the Gospel of John, part one. The Word became flesh, and Lord willing, we will be going through the next four chapters this year. And continue on with chapter 5 starting next fall. And the reason, the reason we focus on this, if the theme for the year is foundations, getting back to the heart, the reason we focus and mine the truth of God's word from one of the most glorious books that God's ever given to us, through his word, the gospel of John, is because we're getting back to the heart of the gospel. A church that loses the heart of the gospel is a church that's lost its way. 
Getting back to the heart of gospel, you say, what's the gospel? The good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And there is perhaps no better book to dive into for this purpose than the gospel of John. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because God tells us through the apostle John. In John 20, 31, you'll see it on the screen. This is the purpose of the whole book. Why John wrote it. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That is the whole purpose of the book. If I could sum it up, it would just simply be this. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You must believe in him to have eternal life. That's the underlying big idea for this entire gospel. And that is what we are going to be unpacking, Lord willing, over the next four to five months here. And you say, why is this so important? Like, why would you devote, not just four or five months, but the next part of the next four years of your preaching calendar to this? Why is this so important? The foundation, the heart of the gospel. Because here's why. Nothing less, church, than this. We need, hey, loved ones, love seeing you take notes. I want to see your eyes for a second. Because we need to understand this. All of Christianity rises or falls on the person and work of Jesus Christ. All of Christianity rises or falls on the person and work of Jesus Christ. A church that stands firm on who Jesus is and what he's done, the heart of the gospel, is a church that stands firm. A church that compromises on even one part of who Jesus says he is and what he's done is a church that has lost its way. You can't have it both ways. It rises or falls on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the problem is this, loved ones, just look at the landscape around us. We live in a culture that is increasingly attacking the person and work of Christ. Satan is making it his mission to dismantle, destroy, deceive distract from this truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. Why? Because all of Christianity rises or falls on it. That there's only one true God. I'll say it again from the start of the series. There is only one true God. And and culture that's coming in and individual lives of people who claim to follow Christ and churches that claim to uphold his name are being led to compromise and rejection of the true gospel at a staggering pace, loved ones. A staggering pace. Even those claiming to follow Christ, false teaching is rising and rampant. Deception is rampant. And loved ones, here's the reality. Souls are literally hanging in the balance. That should humble us today. And don't think for a second, well, because we're preaching on this, then we're safe from that. Really? Be very careful. If anyone thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. And and you say, well, I get that already. If you're a believer here, if you're a genuine follower of Christ, you say, I get that Jesus is the only way to salvation. I've heard the person about the person of Christ. I've, I've studied the work of Christ. I get that already. No, 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 listen. John was called the evangelist for a reason. 
But the book of John is not written just for unbelievers to be evangelized. The book of John has a twofold purpose. Number one, it's evangelism, but number two, it's apologetics. It's an apologetic, which is a defense of the truth. So it's not just preaching the truth of salvation through Jesus Christ, it's defending the truth of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. That's the twofold purpose as to why John wrote this book. The person and work of Christ, the defense in reminding believers of who Jesus is and to stir our hearts to continue to abide in him daily and live in his power. I'm so excited about this. And so today, we're in John chapter 1. We're going to go verse by verse, line by line. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. And the title of the message is, In the Beginning Was the Word. What better place to start than the beginning? Amen? In the beginning was the Word. And if you do not have a Bible, hey, loved ones, here's what I'm going to say. Grab a pen, grab a sermon note from the back, and a Bible. You're going to want to write this down and follow along. Put your hands up right now. Our ushers are going to put a Bible in your hand, all right, so you can follow along. And if you do not have a Bible at home, then please take that as a free gift so you can continue to study God's Word on your own at home. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. Let's get a little context about what this book is. John, the Apostle John, he wrote this book between 80 and 90 AD. 80 and 90 AD, about 50 years after the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And he wrote this a few years before he goes on to write 1 John. And subsequently, 2 John and 3 John, and then Revelation. Okay, so a few years before. Now, who was the Apostle John? The Apostle John was an eyewitness to Jesus Christ's three-year earthly ministry. Eyewitness. Eyewitness. Everything you're about to hear over the next five months is eyewitness, rock-solid, crystal-clear testimony. The three years of Jesus' earthly ministry, and he witnessed it along with his death and resurrection and ascension. Here's the thing about John. So everyone knows Jesus had 12 disciples, but there were three that he was the most intimate and close with. Peter, James, and John. And John was one of those three. The closest with Jesus, the most intimate communion with him. Now, here's who John isn't, loved ones. We're not talking about John the Baptist. We're gonna get to John the Baptist, Lord willing, next week. But we're not talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. This is John the Apostle, the disciple of Christ. And John and his brother James are known as, I love this title, ready? Would you like this? Sons of Thunder. (laughs) Sweet. The Sons of Thunder. But in his gospel, notice this. You're going to notice something about this gospel. John is not directly mentioned by name when he writes this. He does not mention himself by name, and he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, before we get all up, like, John's full of pride. Like, what's up with that, man? Yeah, Jesus loves me. No, he's not talking about that. It actually shows tremendous humility. Humility before Christ, and intimacy with Jesus. He didn't want to put his own name in because he wanted Jesus Christ to be the focus. That's beautiful. He wanted to stay in the back. Do you? Do I? 
Who do you want to be at the front of your life? You or the Savior? Where did he write this? Where is he at when all this is taking place? John wrote this gospel while living in Ephesus. You'll see a map there. So here's Ephesus. This is modern-day Turkey. Okay, so you see Ephesus, and it's just before he gets exiled to this little island of Patmos that you see that arrow there towards. And he gets exiled by the Romans for his faith in Jesus Christ. All right, so he's in Ephesus right now. Do we have another picture of Ephesus too? No? Okay, that's the one. So he's in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. And he's in the latter half of his life, just before exile to Patmos. Now, now, what's going on around him? Why the need to write this? Because tradition says that John wrote this gospel, okay, get this, John wrote this gospel to complement and supplement the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called the synoptic gospels. They're synopsis of one another. They're in sync. But here's the thing. You'll notice gospel of John is very different from them. Okay? Why? Because it's meant to complement, but supplement and fill in the details. All right, to give you a greater picture of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And the focus of the book mostly focuses on the last three years of Jesus' life with a special attention to his death and resurrection. Yeah, no kidding. If the purpose of the book is that we may believe in him and know who he is as the Son of God. And these next two weeks, we're going to look at what's called the prologue. Verses 1 to 18, which introduces, John's introducing right now the major things. He's ramping us up for what's to come. 18 verses, specifically, he's going to look at the why and how Jesus Christ was sent into the world. And this is where we begin today. Verses 1 to 5, we see two foundational, non-negotiable truths that the heart of the entire gospel hangs upon. In these five verses, the heart of the whole gospel hangs on them. And that we as a church and as men and women who claim the name of Jesus Christ must believe. It's just not an option. If we don't believe what this is saying is true, we are not true followers of Christ. Can I be so bold to say that? Yes, I can. It's a heart check, loved ones. We must hang on to these non-negotiable truths And must believe, if we are to truly know who Jesus is, have life in his name, and keep the foundation of the gospel at the center of all we do, everything hangs on us getting this right. You know, Christians today, you see a lot of people claiming the name of Christ, and they'll die on a lot of hills for things. Listen, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a church of Jesus Christ, this is a hill we got to die on. This is a hill. What we are about to unpack is a hill we have to die on. Because if we're not willing to die on it, we die spiritually. No question. All right? Get your pens ready. Get your sermon notes ready. Because here we go. It's time to get to the heart. Look at verses 1 to 5. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. The word became flesh. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Loved ones, hear the word of the Lord. All God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. 
Well, to know that Jesus is the Christ and to have life in him, first thing we see here is this. We must understand his identity. Who is Jesus? He is the Lord over all. Who is Jesus? He's the Lord over all. Let's check out verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Don't skip over that. Notice what John just did there. You know, here's the first flavor. You know, most of the Gospels will start out with genealogies of so-and-so coming all the way down. John doesn't even do that. Why? Because Jesus existed for eternity. He doesn't have a human genealogy before this. That was coming when he became a man. But John's making a point here. He's just diving right into it. Notice, what we read here is the most packed section of Scripture in the Bible on the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God. No question. Those are just packed. Right out of the gate. Now, you say, well, wait a second. I just saw that word, Word. What do you mean, Jesus Christ? What do you mean, Son of God? Where'd you get that from? Okay, hold on. How do we know Jesus Christ? Christ, the Son of God, is the Word of God. Skip down to verse 14. We're going to unpack that in two weeks. It says this. And the Word, same word, became flesh, that means became a man, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word is the Son. The Son of God is the Word of God. We're going to unpack that more. You still not convinced? Let's go to Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. You'll see it on the screen. It says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets who God would speak to and they would declare God's revelation and message to the people. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. There it is again. He spoke. His word was through his son. The son is the word. And we're going to unpack that. But it's so important that we get our minds around that at the beginning. I love what John Piper says about these first three verses. You'll see it on the screen. He says, what John is doing in John 1, 1 to 3 is telling us the most ultimate, (laughs) this is amazing, most ultimate things about Jesus that he can. He's not wasting any time. It took John more than three years to figure out the fullness of who Jesus was. That's living with him, intimately with him. But he does not want his readers to take more than three verses to find out what took him so long to know. That's amazing. (laughs) That's amazing. I love that. He wants us to have in our minds fixed and clear. That's what we're praying for, clarity today. From the beginning of the gospel the eternal majesty and deity and creator rights of Jesus Christ. Awesome. Awesome. No wonder he's a son of thunder. He's like, right out of the gate, let's drop this. It's going to set the tone. So how does he do that? Loved ones, get our pens ready. He gives us four foundational truths about the identity of Christ, all answering the question of, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus Christ. If someone, hey, students, 
I'm on campus. Every once in a while, I hear the questions being asked. If someone asks you, who is Jesus Christ? We need to be able to give an answer in the workplace, to your children, down the hall in Harvest Kids, in the neighborhood. Who is Jesus? John's giving us four foundational truths right here that he's going to unpack the rest of the book. Number one, he's eternal. He existed before all. He existed before all. Look at verse 1a. In the beginning was the word. Pack statement. Now, what is the beginning there? The Greek word for beginning is this. The initial starting point of all things. It is literally the origin of the universe. The origin of time. The origin of space. It's where everything began. In the beginning. This was before any matter existed. And it was the absolute start of all creation. You say, well, how do you know that? You got something to back that up? Yes, you bet I do. It sounds similar to something else we read at the very start of the book. Genesis 1.1. It's the exact same statement. See it on the screen. In the beginning... There it is again, same word. God created the heavens and the earth. Same statement. In the beginning, in the beginning, was the word. Now, notice there was. Okay, every, hey, loved ones, little, um, little side point here. Biblical discipleship for your quiet time. Know this truth. Every word is inspired. It's in there for a reason, given by God to us. So every word must be taken notice of. Don't skip it. Why is was so important? Why is that past tense word so important? Because here's what it shows. In the beginning was the word. It means the word already existed before creation came into being. Was the word in the beginning. At the beginning of all things was the word. He's not created. He existed. He's been there with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit since eternity past. That's right, it's so important. Every word inspired. He didn't, notice what it didn't say. In the beginning came the word. Big difference. Big difference, you catch it? In the beginning came the word. No, 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 no. The word did not come in the beginning. He was not birthed in the beginning. He existed. He's eternal with God the Father. Now, you say, wait a second. What is this thing, word? I'm getting confused. Jesus Christ, word, let's unpack it. The Greek word, for word used here is logos, L-O-G-O-S, logos. And this is, this is nothing less than the divine self-communication of God. Isn't that amazing? Awesome. The divine self-communication or expression of God for creation, revelation, and salvation. We've got to put that on the screen next week. I forgot. Right? For creation, revelation, and salvation. This is God communicating himself to man. For creation, revelation, and salvation. It is literally God revealing himself through his word, through his son, to his people. God revealing himself to his people. That's awesome. Now, now, notice this. Maybe you didn't know this. John specifically uses this word, inspired by the Holy Spirit. John uses this word for a purpose, logos. 
Why? Don't forget, context is key. Context is key, loved ones. He's writing to a Greek and Jewish audience. And he knew that as soon as he said this word, logos, the Greeks would know that it is a bridge word, meaning, ready for this? Mediator. Awesome. Awesome. Meaning mediator between the transcendent God and his creation. Logos. Mediator. He knew. The Greeks would hear that and be like, there's a mediator? The word is a mediator between God and man? Yes. Yes. He's saying, in the beginning was the mediator between God and man and all creation. Beautiful. Studying the languages, guys, is a beautiful thing. I would highly encourage it. So not only was Jesus Christ eternal, we see here in 1A, he's relational. He's relational. He is distinct from, yet one with, God the Father. If your mind wasn't blown on point A, this one's going to take it there even closer. He's distinct from, yet one with, God the Father. Look at B. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was with God. Now, the word with there, it just means he existed with. He, he has intimate fellowship or unity with God. So if we put that in there, it means the word was intimately unified with, yet distinct from God the Father. God the Son, distinct, yet one with God the Father. Now, now who's this God? There's a lot of opinions out there today about who God is, what God is. So let's, um, it's always a good thing to go back to who God says he is. And the Greek word for God here is theos. Theos. It's where we get our term theology, the study of God from. Theos. And what it means is this. The supreme divine being who owns and sustains all things and has all authority over them. Say it again. Theos. God. The supreme or divine being who owns or sustains all things and has all authority over them. And so here John is referring to God the Father, saying that the word of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was in intimate fellowship and unity with God. Now, notice though, he makes a distinction between them. He says he was with him. He's distinct from God the Father, yet intimately united with him as one. And all God's people went, Thanks, little man. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. What we're seeing here is the first two persons of what's called the Trinity. God, one being, three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not, here's God, and then there's three modes of him. Three forms of God. That's a heresy called modalism. It's not three modes of God. We see three distinct people of God. And the first two, God the Father and God the Son are mentioned here. The Holy Spirit's coming later. Okay? He was with God. And this is why I love this. John 10.30, Jesus makes a claim on this. He said, I and the Father are one. I and the Father, the Son and the Father, yet totally distinct, yet totally one. I and the Father are one. That's incredible. 
What an incredible statement. So he's not only eternal, that he existed before all, he's relational. He's distinct from, yet one with God the Father, totally united. Here's number three. John doesn't stop there. He is, Jesus Christ is the supreme divinity. Supreme divinity. He is God over all. This is where the rubber meets the road, right here. Because think about this, loved ones. When you're in a conversation... It's pretty open, for the most part, to talk about God, right? But mention the name Jesus and watch what happens to that conversation. Jesus is God overall. Look at this. In the beginning was the Word, verse 1, and the Word was with God, and the Word, what a statement, was God. The Son of God is Theos. He is the supreme divinity. Awesome. Same before. Notice what John's not saying. Jesus Christ is not just some prophet. Jesus Christ is not just a moral teacher who lived and then died. Jesus Christ is not an angel, he's not the highest of angels. Jesus Christ is not just a good man who God gave his power to after his baptism. Jesus Christ is not just fiction. Jesus Christ, he makes it so clear, slam dunk, he is God over all. See, many other religions will say, literally, in, in, in well, sort of well-meaning, you'll get a knock on your door, and they will try to convince you that that's a mistranslation. That it should say, the word was a god. What's the problem with that? Now, all of a sudden, you've taken the one true god And said there's more than one God. The word was not a God. Loved ones. The word is God. Almighty himself. Supreme divinity. And if anyone says any other thing. Here's the reality. The heart. This is what's at stake. The heart of the gospel is compromised. If anyone says anything else besides what God has said, the heart of the gospel is now compromised and so is your faith. And maybe some of us here today, you grew up in backgrounds where you're like, well, wait a second, I thought he was a prophet. I thought he was a moral teacher. I thought he says he's God. Listen to him. And you can try to look at verses and be like, yeah, but, yeah, but, hey, scripture will prove scripture. I will guarantee you 100% of the time. God will never write something to contradict what he said. Or he would not be perfect. Jesus Christ was God and is the only name that every knee will bow and tongue confess that he's Lord. 
regardless of what this world says. Jesus Christ, eternal, he existed before all. Jesus Christ, relational, he's distinct from, yet one with God the Father. Jesus Christ, the supreme divinity, he is God over all. Jesus Christ, number four, maker, he is the creator of all. Look at verses two and three. John repeats this for emphasis, just so we get it, loved ones. Here he goes again. He is, he was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. Boom. John now repeats in verse 2 the statement that Christ's eternal existence before creation. He's like, hey guys, we got to get this. I'm just going to repeat it for emphasis here. Okay? I'm going to repeat it for emphasis. He was with God at the beginning. Now, now, verse 3, he says, all things, all things were made through him. Now, again, notice the wording. All things. This isn't just some general statement of everything, just so you can group it together. All things. What does that mean? In the Greek, very specific. Look at the individual parts of creation. Every single piece of matter that you see, every single piece that you don't see that's all over the world and in the universe and in the galaxy, Jesus Christ was God's agent to create it all. All of it. Everything that we see and don't see. The Greek word, he says, all things were made. What does made mean? They came into being. It wasn't through particles banging together. It came into being because Jesus Christ spoke it into being. Just look at Genesis 1. God's agent of creation. And there was absolutely nothing made that was made without him. So look at what, look at what John does. He puts, the, he puts the, whole, the peg in the ground here and says this. I'm going to make this very clear. Jesus was not created. He was the Father's agent in creating all things in the universe. You say all things. Hey, guys, what's the last time you just looked at this world? Looked at this universe and thought... Jesus Christ created it all. Let's, let's just give a little overview. Number one, created every rock that you see. Go ahead. I, I pray that as we go through these next things, you're just like, yeah, there's a picture. You'd be like, and your jaw's just getting lower by the time we get to the last one. Think about this. Let it inspire awe in your heart. For the creator God, Jesus Christ. Every rock, and that's just a little snapshot. He created every one of them. Here, try this. Every ocean. Every one of the literally tens of thousands of fish and sea turtles in that picture, not to mention the barnacles that are on the rock sitting there and the coral. Every one unique. Jesus Christ. How about this? Every tree, it's fall. Look at the trees. And here, here, here. Ready to get your mind blown anymore? Every leaf on every tree. When's the last time I was on my, cutting my lawn yesterday and I looked at the ground and all these leaves, all different patterns, all different colors. How do you not look at that and be like, how great thou art. You're awesome. I'm not. You're awesome. 
Look around us, loved ones. The glory of God is to be seen through creation. And you know what? All of these things shout. The rocks, the, the, the creatures, the oceans, the trees. Every single being shouts the same thing. And it is, there is a God and his name is Jesus Christ. Everything you see. Every tree, every, beautiful. How about this? How about this? Okay, let's get off earth for a second. Go up. Stars. Boom. Here's the really cool thing. Isaiah 40, 26 says he calls every one of those out by name. And he holds them in place so that not one is missing. Ready for a little more? Oh yeah, if that's not enough, hey, hey, let's get our awe back, loved ones. Let's get a high view of our Savior right now. How about this? Every cloud, every cloud you see. How many times do we just look up and be like, oh man, great clouds. That means it's going to rain. Wreck my day. Really? Look up. The clouds are the dust of his feet. Nahum 1.7 says that. Look at them, loved ones. Signatures of the creation. Let's take it inwards. Every cell. We have tons of medical students in this church. Praise the Lord. But look at this. Every cell, every molecule, every tissue in your body was created by Jesus Christ, God's agent of creation, the Son. Every hair on your head, every eyelash, Every tissue of skin, unique, crafted, fearfully, wonderfully. Every, okay, here, every person, crafted, created from the womb. Just look. I don't need to say anything. Are you, hey, do you live with an awe of your Savior, loved ones? Or are we this? Creation reveals the glory of God. Colossians 1.16 says this, For by him, Jesus Christ, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, all things were created through him and for him. If I could sum up that whole thing, I wanted to give you a working, a working summary of all that we just unpacked. And it is this, write this down. Jesus Christ, who is Jesus? Here he is. The Son of God, who has existed for eternity with God the Father. He is distinct from the Father, yet is completely united with Him as the one true God. He was not created, but is the creator and sustainer of all things. Who is Jesus? There He is. There he is. 
I'm going to leave that on the screen so you can write that down. That's who Jesus says he is. So question, is this who you say Jesus is, loved ones? Back row, is this who you say Jesus is? Is this, because this is who Jesus says he is. And so the follow-up is this, where are you doubting him? Where have you let, lost your awe of him and his work? Where are you doubting this? Maybe you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and maybe he's just one of many ways to God the Father in heaven. Maybe just one of many. Where are you doubting? Where have you not been recognizing him for who he is? Where is he calling you to know him again this morning? Because here's the thing. To know that Jesus is the Christ and have life in him, we must understand his identity. He's the Lord over all. And not only must we understand that, but here's what that leads to. We must understand his mission to offer salvation to all. Last point. Here we go. Verses four and five. His mission to offer salvation to all. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, John, after giving clear testimony as to the identity of Christ, John now gives the first clarity on the mission of Christ. And here is the mission, to bring light and life to all people. To bring light and life to all people. Notice verse 4, he says, in him was life. Did you know how many times John emphasizes this term? 36 times in this gospel, he emphasizes life. 36 times. And the Greek there means all physical life that is derived or sustained by Christ. Hey, guess what? The reason your finger can move like that right now to write that down is because Jesus said and gave you permission to let that happen. You know the reason you just took that breath? Because Jesus gave it to you. reason you're still alive after you slept all night, hopefully, was because Jesus sustained you. In him is life. He shares his gift of life with people. Why? By creating them in his image and giving each person the ability to know him. Hey, loved ones, this truth right here in verse 4 is the single biggest foundational reason for the sanctity of life. Because every human being, from the womb to the oldest person on earth, is made in the image of God and has been given life, the breath of life, by him. There it is. Culture can say what it wants to say and do what it wants to do. But at the end of the day, this is the one we answer to and this is what he says life is. Sanctity, sacredness of life. And not only this life, he's not only talking physical life, but as we're going to unpack, life in Christ also refers to the spiritual life that he gives to all of those who believe in him by repenting of their sin and confessing him as their Lord and Savior. You say, how do you know that? Because Jesus told us, John 14, 16. You'll see it on the screen. He says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the, I'll say it together, I'll say it together, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one life. 
There's only one way to the Father, and that is Jesus Christ. There's only one way. Why? Why? Why is this? Because our sin separates us from him. Now think about this. Think about this statement. If in him was life, then that means not being in him is death. If in Jesus Christ is life, not being in Jesus Christ is death. Death. Think of it this way. Uh, Commentator Matt Carter put it this way. You see it on the screen. He says this. If physical death is the separation of the soul from the body, then spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God. That separation is made permanent after physical death when God, the just judge, will punish sin with eternal separation from him in the horrors of hell. That should sober us this morning. In Jesus Christ is life. This is the death that awaits those not in him. It's so clear. Loved ones, repeat this. No one receives forgiveness of their sin and receives eternal life unless saved through Jesus Christ. It is not, hey, if you're here today and you're like, I'm gonna get to heaven because of my good works. No, you're not. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Your good works do not give you life. How about this? Other gods. Other gods do not give you life. They bring you spiritual death. How about this? Well, I'll have Jesus, but then I'll have a bunch of other gods too. I can believe in Jesus and believe in them too because that's, that's the way to... I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is why the narrow way, Jesus says, to life is through him. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. Believe whatever you want to believe. Believe in whoever says the next God is and make him a God too and have Jesus on the side. Doesn't work like that. Doesn't work like that. John continues on in verse 4. He says, he's not only the life, but look at this. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. The light of men. Not only is life in Christ alone, but Christ gave us the way that we can come to believe in him. He wasn't like, I'm not going to leave you separated from me. I'm bringing you the light. I'm bringing you the truth of who God is and his message of salvation should you choose to receive it. I'm bringing that to you because I'm the light. Jesus did not leave us on our own stumbling in the dark. Jesus is also the light. And he became the mediator, the bridge, the logos, by humbling himself and coming to earth as fully God and fully man, living a perfect sinless life in all holiness and purity and bringing the word and presence of God to man. This is our Jesus. This is the true Jesus. He's the light. He's the life. The light of God's truth. What you're hearing right now is made possible because of the light, Jesus Christ. This is it, loved ones. He shone his light in the spiritual darkness. That's what he's talking about. The darkness is not overcome. Verse five, he shone his light in the spiritual darkness of the world in all of its sin. Look around us, loved ones. Sin and deception and brokenness and bondage all over the place. And even though Satan was at work to oppose Christ through his death on the cross for our sin and being buried in a tomb for three days, here's great news. Last line of verse five. The darkness, the darkness what? Has not overcome the light. Has not overcome the light. 
Overcome there means to, to capture, to capture the light, to contain it, to destroy it. He says that darkness hasn't done that. He conquered darkness and sin and death for all time. Permanently removing our separation from God because of our sin for all who repent of that sin and confess him as their Lord and Savior. And this is why Jesus says right here, John 8, 12, look at this, he says this. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I'm the truth of God. I am the only truth of God. Anyone who's proclaiming salvation by anyone or anything else is a deceiver. I am the truth of God. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Follow anything else, you walk in darkness. Follow me, you do not. You will have the light of life. Light and life, there it is again. He makes it so clear, loved ones. There are not many ways to God. There's one truth about God through Jesus Christ, the word of God, and he is the way, the only way to the Father. Spiritual death, spiritual life. And notice verse 5, just gets better. He says, the light shines in the darkness. Here's the climax. Present tense verb there. Oh, why do you say that? Because the light is still shining. The light, didn't say the light shined. It says the light shines. It's still shining. And the darkness still cannot overcome it for all those who live in the life and light of Christ. Look at this picture. I love this. Right here. Bang. On the screen. Go. One candle can light up an entire dark room. And look at MacArthur's quote here. He says, darkness is not able to overcome or conquer the light. Just as a single candle can overcome a room filled with darkness, so also the powers of darkness are not overcome by the person and work of the Son through his death on the cross. And where the light shines in your life, where the truth of God is taking hold and changing you, living and active, to be more like him, where that light shines, the darkness always has to move. Darkness and light cannot occupy the same space. I used to be a science teacher, trust me. All right? They can't occupy the same space. And where the light, the truth of God grows in your life and grips your heart, the darkness has to flee. Because the darkness can't overcome it. So question, last question of the day. Do you have new life in Jesus Christ? Are you walking in the life? Loved ones, this is the most important question of your life and mine. Are you walking in the life and light of Jesus Christ? Nothing else is light and life. Do you have him? Have you repented of your sin, turned from your sin and said, Jesus Christ, maybe even today, we were praying before the service this, that the blinders would come off and you would see Jesus for who he says he is and you would not say, I don't want to walk in my sin anymore. I'm done with that. It's killing me. It's bringing me spiritual death, taking me straight to hell. I turn from that and I turn towards you, Father, confessing that. And he says, yes. Be my Lord and Savior. And he says, I will not turn you away. You don't have to clean yourself up. I will not turn you away. Are you walking in the light? And if you have, if you have done that, believers, what patterns of sin are you still living in bondage to that Jesus Christ says, the darkness of that has not overcome you. I have overcome it and I live in you. Surrender that to me and start walking by faith in strength and obedience to me. What are the areas of darkness that you're still feeling in bondage to? 
that Jesus is like, I overcame it. How about this? Fear of man. Fear of man. Satan just punches that little card in your heart and bang, there it is again. How about this? Anxiety, worry, doubt, unbelief. How about this? Pornography. Are you walking in that sexual sin? Are you actively engaging in sexual sin? And Jesus Christ is like, I've overcome that. It's time to do business with me and get off it. I can break that because I've broken it. Will you walk in the freedom that I came to give? The light, the life. How about this? Alcohol. Maybe some here are just, just going back into the bottle to try to numb the fear, numb all these other things to tune the world out. He's like, your satisfaction can be found in me. You don't need to go to that. Maybe it's grumbling or complaining, gossiping, gossiping. Are you still walking in the darkness of gossip and grumbling and complaining? Let's repent of that. And it's only fitting, loved ones, that as we go to communion right now, we go to the Lord's table, it's only fitting we remember the work and the person of Jesus Christ through the Lord's Supper. To remember the identity of Christ, that he is the Lord over all and to remember his mission in sacrificing himself to offer salvation to all. It is the truth that through the cross alone that we can know that Jesus is the Christ and have life in him. And communion, the Lord's table, is a time to remember the Christ's death and the sacrifice that he made on the cross over 2,000 years ago to pay the penalty for our sin that separated us from him, to be the mediator for us between God and between man, that you would not have to continue to walk in bondage and darkness to sin when the light lives in you. And the two elements that we remember him today with represent just that, the bread which represents his body that was crushed on the cross for us, paying your, the penalty for your sin and mine, and the blood, the juice representing his blood that was shed to cover every sin that we have committed, will commit, or are committing. It is covered. There is nothing that the blood of Jesus has not covered in your life. Will you receive him? Will you receive him? He's offering you a clean start today. And there's someone in this room right now who this is for right now. You're like, I don't know, I haven't come to Jesus. And he's like, I've covered that, I've covered that. Will you come to me? It's time to start walking in the light, loved ones, and step out of the darkness. And as we take in this together, Scripture commands us to examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians 11, 28 and 29 says this. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's a sobering word right there. What that means is this. Where are you walking in the darkness? If you are engaged in ongoing sin, that needs to be repented of and brought before the Lord before you enter the table of the communion. It's a big deal to God who searches our hearts. So in the quietness of your heart, as these are being passed out, let's just bow our heads quietly and say, Lord Jesus, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my anxious thoughts right now, loved ones, right now, right where you sit, and see where the offensive ways are in me. And lead me in the light. Lead me in the path 
everlasting. That sin that I know I need to give up and I haven't, I give that to you right now, Jesus. I choose to give me your power. Give me your strength. Give me your light and life. Right now, loved ones, as we pass these out, and the remembrance of Christ's death is for all those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, the only way, and have repented of their sin. And if you're here and you've never done that, you say, Jesus isn't my Lord. I don't, I don't know. Then here's what I'm going to say, two things. Number one, I'm glad you're here. You are not here by accident. No question. The Lord who has authority has brought you here. Guaranteed. It's not your friend. It's him. Secondly is this. Because the communion table is only for believers, I'm going to ask that you just let the elements pass by you and then either turn to the person who brought you today or come up to the front afterwards for prayer. We want to talk to you about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That can begin today. Today when you hear his voice. That thumping right now, that question right, that's the Lord. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Today can be your salvation. How will you respond? Ushers, you may come forward. And I will pray as these are being passed out. And please hold off on taking them until we have, can take them together. Father, this is a sacred moment right here. Your word is so clear. It is just so clear. Jesus Christ, you are the eternal son of God the exact imprint of God's nature. You created all things. You are one with the Father. And there is salvation in no other name given among men by which we must be saved. You are the light, you are the life. So God, would you now, as we, in the quietness of our hearts, there's no condemnation in this room. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, only those who are not in him. There is no condemnation for those in you. You've broken that chain. And so right now, I pray just a spirit of release on this place. Say, this is where I'm walking in bondage. This is where I'm walking in darkness. It's time to change. Lord, help me. Think, but what about this? What about that? Take the next step. Giving it over. And I pray for such freedom and forgiveness in this place, God, to flood over each soul. Search our hearts now, God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
Apostle Paul says through the Holy Spirit the words of Jesus Christ. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Loved ones, let's remember the body of Christ was broken for us. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, the death of Jesus Christ, the Lord Almighty, the Lord over all, until he comes. The blood of Christ poured for us. Father, sacred moment. Thank you for your word. Thank you for not leaving us on our own in our darkness. Thank you, Jesus Christ, the light of the world, that you became the mediator between God and man and shed your blood for us and that the darkness has not overcome it. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray right now that as we sing this last song, there would be an anthem of praise from our hearts that we would be filled with the conviction, refreshed in the conviction and the freedom of your love for us in sending your son to die for us. Because for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life in Christ alone.